Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. This morning our message comes from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Read with me through verse 15. The Word of God reads, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been, bar- uh, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of God for the people of God this Resurrection Sunday morning. There was once a man who was hiking along a a narrow trail that wove its way along a beautiful mountainside. And so beautiful was this mountainside that it overwhelmed this hiker. They began to not really pay attention to where he was going. And when the trail turned, the man didn't. And he slipped over the edge of a cliff. And as he fell, the man grabbed a branch that was growing from the side of that cliff. And he was hanging there for a few moments. He realized that he couldn't free himself from his situation. He also realized that he did not have enough strength to hang on for very long. So he started to call for help. And the man shouted in desperation, Help! Help! Is anyone up there? There was a voice that responded. I'm here. Yes, I'm here. And the man yelled back, well, who is it that's up there? And the voice said, it's I, the Lord. And the man said, Lord, help me. And the voice from over the cliff said back, do you trust me? And the man said, Lord, I trust you completely. I'm hanging here. To which the voice replied, good. Then let go of the branch. The man says, what? In complete alarm. The voice said once more, I said, let go of the branch. There was a hush that fell over the scene. That hush lasted for quite a while. That hush was finally broken with the sound of that man's voice as he hung from that limb that grew out of that mountainside. And he says, is anyone else up there? My friends, Christ is risen. Our Lord is risen. 
And I stand before you today in the complete and certain confidence that the tomb where Jesus was laid on the night of his crucifixion is empty. My friends, the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. Death could not contain our Lord. And against the advice of sound investment folks, I've got all my eggs in the basket that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. I've got all my eggs in the fact that he is alive forevermore. And I know that confidence in the resurrection of Jesus may be true for some of you. And yet for others, there may be shreds of doubt. I would tell you that you wouldn't be alone in that doubt. Now, Doubt and skepticism have been fashionable uh, ever since there was a French philosopher who in his basement stared into into a candle. And he wrote this. He said, I doubt, therefore I think. I think, therefore I am. Or summing him up, summing him up, he says, I doubt, therefore I am. In other words, if you follow his line of reasoning, he, is to, he would lead us to believe that doubt is at the core of our human existence. Well, do you doubt? I mean, all of us doubt, right? We all have the ability to doubt. I have doubts all the time. For example, I doubt that when I'm in a conversation with someone about um, anything that might be interesting to me, I doubt that it's just coincidence that my phone begins to show me advertisements for the thing that I was talking about. I really doubt that. Does that ever happen to you? Talking about car parts and suddenly there's you know, O'Reilly ads on your phone or something like that. Do you doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you doubt the claims of the gospel? Now, I told you that doubt became fashionable because of a guy who said, I think, therefore I am. But that's not the first occurrence of doubt. No, in fact, doubt is all over the Bible. There were hundreds of people who saw Jesus Christ resurrected. They, they ate with him. They touched him. They saw him. They did all the things with him. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. But some doubted. And I think it's fair to say that some doubts had crept into the, into the Colossian church when this letter was written to them. Now, the portion of the Bible that I read for you comes from a letter from a first century church planter, a first century missionary whose name was Paul. And he's writing to Christians who were very new in their faith in Jesus, writing to Christians who had accepted the preaching that Jesus is king of all. And yet, with time, they started to wonder. There were some people who had started coming to their church that were telling them that everything that they had been told, everything that they had uh, accepted, everything that they had come to believe wasn't actually true. And that it would be really good, in fact, it would be far better for them to denounce this Jesus character. These people were part of a faith that were still waiting for God to send a Savior, to redeem a people. And as far as they were concerned, Jesus wasn't him. And as Paul writes to these people who were young in their faith, he's warning them about being held captive by their philosophy, being held captive by their empty deceit. 
We might be assuming that he means with this idea of being captive that we're being held captive in our thoughts, like, like as if we have a laser focus upon someone who's speaking. But that's not what Paul means when he writes this. When this warning is written, what he's communicating is that there are lies out there that will kidnap you from the family of God. All those lies come about from mere men who tell a really good sounding story. But the story that they tell is not God's truth. And for these Colossians, as long as they entertained these false teachers, as long as they they kept playing with fire, so to say, they were risking getting burned. Now, my friend, the threat of kidnapping is not just something from long ago. Now, we face similar threats of being kidnapped today. These threats all come from sources who seem like really nice people, who in many instances may be our literal neighbor. But their belief of who Jesus Christ is is not rooted in the Word of God. Now, these kidnappers come in the form of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and science teachers and even wolves who are dressed as Christian preachers who will convince you that God's will for you is your health and your wealth. Their approaches are unique, but at the end of the day, they kidnap you with the thought that this world, well, it revolves around you. They make you believe that you can be good enough for God, or that that you are a God, or that there is no God, or that the God that they're talking about is just waiting for you to pray so that He can meet meet your demands with a hop and a skip and a jump. Now, you're smart people. Think about this for a moment. What does it matter if a man from Nazareth is crucified and is raised from the dead if the gospel is just really about you being God? What does it matter if the gospel is really about God standing by to serve you like a spiritual vending machine? What does it matter? Why waste all the ink and paper about this this cross or this empty tomb and a resurrection? Why why bother with any of that? This is where kidnapping these days is easier than you might think. I mean, sure, this same Paul who writes to these Colossians writes to another church stuff like You know, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Christ was buried, that He was raised from the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So what about this Jesus guy, right? So what? I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my best life now. I want to talk about my rewards. I want to talk about my glory forevermore. So what about that Jesus guy? Well, here's what. Verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Can't ignore that. Can't ignore that. I want to say this simply and I want to say this sweetly. I want to eliminate any doubt about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born in the city of Bethlehem to a mother who had never been with a man. He is a human being like me and like you. Human. 
He faced all the temptations that you and I face. And yet he is absolutely different than you and I. And he's absolutely different in this way. While Jesus is absolutely human, he's also God. He's also God. Jesus is God in human form. And this is important for you and me to come to terms with. And this is where Christianity differs from all the lies that are out there that masquerade as religions and philosophies on this known earth. In creating humanity, God didn't create us to be gods unto ourselves. He created us to reveal His glory. Read the book. You turn to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, one that we've committed to heart, many of us, and you find that the Bible says there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that has much to do with our universal need for a Savior as it does our universal failure to complete the mission God has given to us. So Jesus, God Himself, He enters into history to show His creation that the glory of God can be Revealed. He does so to deal with sin. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Jesus isn't some distant God. He's not far removed from you and me. No, because God came to earth in human form. You can know that Jesus is concerned with you. He's concerned for you. He's concerned for the challenges that you face every day. In fact, Jesus is very much able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He lived with them. He lived with them all. Yet in every respect, he never gave in to temptation. Never sinned once. And this is the truth that all of of the other philosophies, they want to kidnap you from. All the other threats of our day would keep you from fully trusting In this God, the one of Scripture, the one who went to and through a cross, who emptied a tomb, the one whose name is Jesus. Now, if in your mind you're trying to do the math of someone being God and human, and at the same time and you're coming up with that equals something crazy, let me afford you just a little bit of comfort. You wouldn't be the first person to arrive at that conclusion. In fact, there was a former atheist who turned to Christ whose name is C.S. Lewis. And he spoke with lots of people who struggled with this. And he wrote about where he came down on Jesus. He wrote this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. In other words, you couldn't hear the teachings of Jesus and just conclude that he's some guy who's going to tell you how to live a really good life. You can't get there. No. Rather, Lewis says, Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, the one who walked the streets of Jerusalem, he'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell himself. You've got to make your choice. Either this man was and this man is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse, says Lewis. My friend, where do you come down on Jesus? Do you doubt that he's the maker of heaven and earth? Do you doubt that he has always been and will always be? 
Do you doubt that God added to himself a physical human body? Do you doubt that that body of his really died? Do you doubt that that body of his physically rose to life? I mean, all the kidnappers need to do is to get you to doubt any of these things. They've got you right where they want you. There are people who are ready to just fill your head with doubts. They come knocking on your door around the streets of Divine, ready to to share material with you that's been printed by a group called the Watchtower that tells you that Jesus has returned in the fulfillment of scriptures. He just did it invisibly back in 1914. Others of them are ready to give you a copy of a so-called Third Testament of Jesus that's written on the premise that after Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father in Acts chapter 1, that sometime later he descended in South America to reveal a new word from God to some indigenous peoples there. By the way, it's not consistent with the Old and New Testament, in case you're wondering. There are those who are in the classrooms across the globe who are educating minds to the accidental nature of our existence. Educating those minds about the certain finality of death. They're even filling your television screens with an 800 number at the bottom of that screen inviting you to sow a seed of faith and receive all your blessings so you can live your best life now. None of these for which I mention are brothers and sisters, my friend. They're all kidnappers. So what do we do when they come? What do we do? How do we protect ourselves from being taken captive? I think what we do is just what Paul is doing here for these Colossians. We offer to one another what Paul does. We remind one another of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We do so beginning in this way. If you're in Christ, verse 11, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And you may be familiar with the fact that circumcision is a procedure that's done on males that involves a measure of skillful medical attention. Yet for those who are in Christ, those both male and female, we each have received a circumcision made without hands. And some might be thinking right now, I'm in Christ. I trust Jesus. I don't remember a circumcision. I mean, who did the procedure? Was the guy even qualified? Let me put those those last concerns to bed very quickly. Yes, the physician's more than qualified. In fact, he's world-renowned. He earned a degree from the U of H. That's the University of Heaven. And he goes by the great physician. He is Jesus himself. See, if you are in Christ today, you have faith because the Spirit of Jesus called your name and you came to Jesus. And when you did, the Holy Spirit did a surgery in you that only God Himself can do. I bet you didn't even know you needed a surgery, did you? Or maybe for that matter, you didn't even know that you were sick. Do you even know what sort of surgery it was? Maybe someone's thinking right now, I I know how invasive uh, a circumcision is. Maybe this is just some sort of minor outpatient thing. You don't even need a a couple thousand dollar bill from an anesthesiologist just in and out, right? If you're thinking that, you'd be absolutely wrong. Let me try to jog your memory. Do you remember the day of your salvation? I hope you do. 
You remember the day that was filled with amazing grace where from one moment to the next, the desires of your heart changed? Where the burdens of your heart rolled away? Oh, there may have been so many things that you were living for up until that moment, but you knew none of them ever satisfied you. None of those things that you lived for ever brought you lasting peace. And all of a sudden, in a moment, something changed. Your heart was flooded with a warmth that you've never felt before. And at the same time, you had a resolve that your life was no longer your own. And in some strange way, you were no longer living for yourself, but you found yourself living for others. You found yourself living for Jesus. And that all came to be because God and His Spirit performed not some quick outpatient thing. He performed a heart transplant in you. You once had a heart of stone that was not alive, but the Spirit of the living God replaced it with a heart that beats for Jesus. A heart transplant? Yeah! A heart transplant. That's what Jesus did when he called you and you came to him. And my friend, every man and every woman and every boy and every girl needs a new heart. That's what Jesus gave you and I who are in Christ. And come to think of it, the Spirit hasn't just circumcised us of heart. He's also resurrected us. You probably didn't even know that you needed some resurrecting beyond that circumcision, did you? And I know you're thinking, okay, I I get the concept of resurrection, that resurrection only happens when somebody's dead, and, you know, I'm clearly alive. My heart beats. I I draw breath. I've never been dead. Well, but you have. Remember that bit from Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Because of the sinfulness of humanity, you and I are dead in our sin. We were sin sick, dead on arrival, urgently needing resurrecting if we were to actually live. My friend, this is what we need reminding of when the kidnappers come to bring doubts. Now, I suspect there's one more doubt that might be floating around right now, and it's a doubt that gets rooted in, you know, the awareness that if we're in Christ, we've been healed, that uh, our sin sickness has been resolved, that uh, a heart transplant's been performed, that we've been made alive in Him, that we've been resurrected in Him. And we're thinking right now, Pastor, this all sounds too good to be true. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't buy a lick of what the kidnappers are trying to sell, but I've got to admit, I can't repay anyone for what you're talking about. I mean, I struggle just to, to even come here on Easter Sunday with because I... the. I hear whispers in my ear about they're going to think things of you or I have guilt and I have shame. You don't know what I've done. How could I ever repay someone for what you're talking about? When someone does something for us, we feel the need to repay that, don't we? And that's right where the religious kidnappers would take advantage of us. That desire to repay. They deceive people into a lie that they can repay God through their actions. They have no understanding of what it might mean for God and the person of Jesus Christ to go through the cross. The cross of Jesus is confusing to so many. The cross is where people who were guilty of terrible crimes were sentenced to die upon. 
Yet Jesus, who knew no sin, knew that his life would end nailed to one. Why would Jesus do this? Why would God enact such a plan? Well, the answer is easy. It's easy to say. But the answer has an infinite depth to its magnitude. Why, Jesus? Why? Well, the answer is simply this. Love. See, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the persons of the Godhead. They love what He has created. And yet we as humans loved ourselves more and we chose to rebel against our Creator. And our rebellion, our sin, that requires punishment. And that punishment is the wrath of very God. Now that puts us each in a state of crisis because we can't withstand God's wrath. In other words, each one of us has done a crime. In fact, we've done lots of crimes, but we can't survive the sentence. And God, in knowing this, he entered into human history, or into history by adding humanity to himself because he loves his creation. He loves us. He did so to do what only he can do, to take on the sin of all time, subjecting himself to his own wrath. To what end? So that you and I who trusted in Jesus Christ, when we stand before God in judgment and the verdict in our criminal court case is read aloud, the verdict comes in this way. Innocent. Innocent. Imagine that courtroom. Imagine the prosecutor after he's laid out all the bits of evidence to prove your guilt beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the prosecutor's like, your honor. The state has proved their case. I mean, this person is guilty. Need I remind you of exhibit A14 when, when this person didn't honor his mother and stole cookies out of the cookie jar when he was six? Do you remember the photos I shared in exhibit D46 when at 16 he was drinking against the law? Your Honor, what about exhibits F17 through G118 that each documented the faithfulness of this person to his wife in his 20s. And the judge just says, stop. Stop. The judge says, none of that matters now. And the, the prosecutor says, what do you mean none of this matters, Your Honor? And the judge says, read in the book that is his life. Read on. And you're going to find that I intervened in that life. You're going to find that that life came under new management because he turned his life over to me. He came to see the cross to which I went to. It wasn't foolishness. He came to see that the cross that I went to and that I went through was the power of God for salvation. And today, he receives mercy. He doesn't get what he deserves because I took his guilt upon myself. Rather, on this day, I take great joy in declaring this man righteous. Why would our king do that? I tell myself all the time, I don't deserve anything of which I speak to you right now about. You might be thinking the same. And if you are, you're right, you don't. 
Ain't a one of us that deserve any of what I speak of right now. Yet that is the amazingness of God's grace. That in the cross of Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin became sin. In calling us to Jesus, the spirit of Jesus has breathed life into us. No, we are no longer dead in our sin, but now God looks upon us as he looks upon himself in Jesus Christ. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His glorious light. By the way, that's the significance of Christian baptism. As we're lowered into the waters of baptism to be fully immersed, we are identifying with and committing our lives to the Christ who died for our sin. And as we're raised, we are testifying to the fact that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has given life to us too. In in His glorious resurrection that Jesus has called us into, dear brothers and sisters, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and at the same time, He is seated upon the thrones of our own hearts. He is our precious, majestic, most wonderful King. And in every way we unite with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. Proclaiming to the world that the, that the world is behind us. And that the cross is before us. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ that we see that God has taken all the initiative. So that sinners can be reconciled to him through faith. Jesus has done all the work. And he calls you to follow him in the same confidence of faith that I have and others of you have this morning. Fully trusting in Jesus and no one else. Not even ourselves. We'll follow Him where? To follow Him into His glorious kingdom. To follow Him into the new world that started to come that first Easter Sunday morn. It It was on that morning when the stone rolled away and what had never been was. Never before had a man crossed into the great unknown that is death and returned. But that morning, that morning, that glorious morning, that morning where the devil's victory parades were interrupted and alarm flooded the streets of hell, that morning when even the greatest of kings and queens and presidents find that their rule is ultimately impotent and inferior, That morning where sinners who have been forgiven through the work upon the cross reminding one another that this ain't no myth. This ain't no fairy tale. No, what needs to die is our doubt because there is but one king. His name is Jesus and he is alive. He is risen. There was a man who Christ called unto himself at the age of 16. He called this young man to preach. He called this young man to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And it's estimated that 2.2 billion people heard him preach in his lifetime. And the man of who I speak of was named Billy Graham. You may have heard of him once or twice. Now, Billy Graham died five years ago, and many do not know this about him, but in his final years, he suffered from vision loss. He died nearly blind, couldn't make out anything. And it's said that when his vision started to fade, 
doubt never crept in for him. What abided with him was a certainty in, in, uh, of faith in what was accomplished in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham said this about his vision loss. He said, I may not see anything again in this life, but I know the next thing that I will see is the face of my Savior. Ain't no doubt in that. My Christian brother, my Christian sister, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Do not let doubt creep in. Our King Jesus, once dead, is alive. He is alive. Death could not contain him. He is alive. We will preach that. We will live that until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And our friends who've joined us this morning, maybe you came here with all sorts of doubts. I'm glad you're here. And maybe between what the choir has offered and what's been preached, there's one thing that you know right now that you didn't know before. And that those doubts are drowned out in the light of the truth that Christ is risen. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. It's right after I pray. And I need to make you aware that faith and obedience to the one in whom you claim faith, they are married to one another. They're married in this way. If God is giving you faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died in your place for your sin, that he is alive, then your finish line, my friend, is not a prayer from the comfort of your pew. No, your finish line is the eternity with him. The starting line is the waters of that, baptism, that baptistry right there. That's when you start. What you cannot do to save you, Christ has done on your, on your behalf on that cross. And he's calling you to Jesus. The Spirit is bidding you to be obedient to the Word of God. To reveal the glory of God unto the nations. And so if you've been called, there is a total response. A total surrender to follow the way of Jesus. So you can come. You can come to confess with your mouth that Jesus is King. And that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For as the Bible says, with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine. Located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.